listeners. Welcome to Grief Out Loud. Remember the last time you tried to talk about grief and then suddenly everyone left the room? Grief Out Loud is opening up this often avoided conversation because grief is hard enough without having to go through it alone. We bring you a mix of stories, tips for supporting children, teens, and yourself, and interviews with people working in the grief field. Platitude and cliche-free, we promise. Grief Out Loud is hosted by me, Jana DeCristofero, and produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children and Families in Portland, Oregon. What does transformation mean, and how does it connect or not connect to the experience of grieving the death of someone important in your life? How can people in grief make their way into the everything that comes with this kind of loss and still keep track of themselves? Today's guest is Felicia Glass, a licensed specialist clinical social worker in Topeka, Kansas. In her private psychotherapy practice, Felicia works with children, teens, adults, and families who are facing major life transitions, including grief. Felicia, thanks for joining me today on Grief Out Loud. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to have a chit chat today. And thanks, too, for uh, having patience with our technical squall earlier. So listeners, if this sounds a little different than some of our other episodes, we're trying out a whole new spontaneous recording option. And Felicia, today we're going to be exploring your work with children and families and the ways in which you support them during times of intense grief. But let's start talking a little bit about like what drew you to this work. I know for me, if I tell people where I work, they're like, oof, grief, that's terrible, so hard. How do you do it? Like, how do you answer that question? Well, you know, for me, it, it's actually about transition and actually the life that I've, I'm actually living. Um, I happen to be the mom of a set of twins who were 24 weeks when they were born. And I believe that in my life of raising them, I am constantly grieving all of the hopes and dreams that I have for them and that they have for themselves that are limited by their limitations in development and brain disease due to prematurity. I also feel like I processed some of my own physical grief of losing my brother while actually in practice. And so I find that people often have more connectors um, in life through grief than we do in any other form of relationship because we all grieve something. Yeah, it's, a, it's an experience that on some level we can all find a way to connect and reflect one another's experience. Absolutely. It's interesting too, because oftentimes people think of grief coming from a, a major life transition that is perhaps socially sanctioned as a negative experience, the death of someone, the diagnosis of an illness, uh, the end of a, a marriage or a relationship. But there can be so much grief involved in some of those more socially sanctioned positive experiences, graduating from a program or getting married or having children, that there can be grief interwoven in those as well. Absolutely. I think anytime there's a relationship that has occurred, there can be grief. It reminds me of when I was graduating from high school and everyone in my life is like, oh my gosh, you must be so excited. Congratulations. Congratulations. And I was <laughs> terrified and nobody was like, what are you scared about? How do you feel about moving, you know, a thousand miles away to go to someplace you've never been before? It was just Absolutely. all positive. And I was like, what's wrong with me? Cause I'm totally scared. Well, and I think that's the other piece is that people believe that there has to be something wrong with them in order to grieve. Like it's some medical diagnoses and it really is not a disease it's actually about love and relationships and how we change when those relationships change in our lives. 
you know, we talk a lot at, at my work about how we bring our full selves into our grief. You know, there were not these isolated elements of ourselves that are grieving and that everything that makes up our unique identity becomes part of how we express our grief, how we feel like we can't express our grief, how our grief is received. And so just thinking about how race and culture and gender identity and sexual orientation and economic status and religious or not religious traditions, all those things that go into making up who we are, how do you interact with clients who are dealing with grief, knowing that those elements of themselves are so integral to the experience? You know, I find that it's important to be accepting of people exactly where they are, embracing the person and their full self and joining in what I call the journey of grief. I have to be able to partner with them exactly where they are for wherever their stance or take on grief might be. I wonder too sometimes about in the more private practice setting, if there's conversations that arise around the grief that can be associated with a certain aspect of a person's identity. Perhaps they have an identity that isn't part of the more dominant identity out there and the grief that can come with that piece of it. You know, I find that as if we are talking about people's relational choices or living a different gender than society expects, that there is a grief process that happens and that people no longer we're not meeting the expectations of others, but trying to live up to the dreams and goals of self. And so as a female who has had multiple grief experiences, I believe that that grief process differs on the topic or the type of loss or transition that we are experiencing. Um, I can remember telling my mom that I was marrying a woman and how very difficult watching my mom cry and scream and yell as if I had died because in her view I believe that she lost the daughter she thought she raised giving her that experience of heartbreak was very difficult from my view but very freeing as well in that I no longer had to live under the expectation of someone else and so grieving the relationship that my mother and I had or the love that I thought she had for me was very difficult. And it was an experience that is very different than grieving the loss of my brother, because I, I still get to look at my mom. We have since healed and been able to form a healthy relationship with very love-based experiences and expectations. So I do believe that we grieve various aspects of our lives in various ways. I know we just talked a little bit about how grief is so different for everyone, depending on who they are and how they were raised and all the things that go into making up who they are. Are there also some common themes that come up in your work with your clients? I believe most of the, the common themes that I find are about maybe the question of who am I now? What am I supposed to do? How do I grieve? It? Is there a right or a wrong way to grieve? Oftentimes people are facing the same pressures of, aren't you over that yet? Come on, let's move on. That's where people find commonality and can share um, their grief experiences in the fact that they're tired of other people's expectations and or that they're lost and don't know what to do. So they're seeking common ground and or a place where they can just be them. 
That's uh, it's so interesting to think that the common theme often is how society is responding to us in our grief. Yes. And what are some of the ways you help people maybe broaden their view or their idea around what grief is supposed to look like? You know, I think with every person that I work with, whether they're children who are, you know, have lost a sibling or a parent, uh, unexpected death or not, I believe that I start with everyone with this understanding that their grief is their own and that no grief experience is the same and that there is no right or wrong way to grieve. So the feelings that they have don't need to be quote unquote validated by others, that it's okay to stand exactly where they are in that moment. And that feeling of being accepted, quote unquote, and having a space to not be judged in where or how they grieve is what allows people to come into my space and make it their space. In that work of you know helping people be seen and heard in their grief, accepted that like such unique experience of not feeling judged or evaluated negatively for how you're doing it. How are you assessing or evaluating if there are folks not not necessarily that they're doing their grief wrong, but they are needing some additional support? So oftentimes I find that in grief work, what we are as therapists are treating is not necessarily the grief itself, but the symptoms of grief. So oftentimes I am doing assessments around their anxiety levels, around their depressive state, um, their ability to continue to function at what they would have previously considered their normal pace. And so oftentimes I will do um, a standard assessment for anxiety that will assess them over a seven day time period. And then I will reassess them as we process and work through some of their anxiety issues or their depressive issues. Oftentimes we find that those standard scales help me to help them manage symptoms. And as we manage symptoms, they are then able to process and move forward in their grief cycle. Yeah, so almost as if the outer realm of the way the grief is changing how they are in the world with that anxiety or depression, as that gets mitigated or moderated in some way, it almost seems like it creates more room for the experience of grief to exist. I love that. That's perfect. We want to make room for the grief experience. I have another anxiety question for you because (laughs) I feel like in my work that that's the part of grief that totally catches people off guard. They sort of expected they might be really sad or really tired, but they're really on edge and they're not sleeping very well. They are worried about something going wrong all the time. They're very concerned about the health and well-being of other people in their lives. What's your take on that? Like, What's the mechanism of anxiety in response to grief? I truly believe that our anxiety levels become so heightened because we are not in a place where we're focusing on taking care of self. So because we're in a place where we're just trying to make sure that the wheels keep turning and things keep going, we fail to care for our own health. And as a result, our bodies start screaming to us, wait, wait, you need help. You need help. And that scream for help displays itself in anxious forms. 
such as not being able to sleep or that intrusive thoughts that people have throughout the day that kind of take over their life. It's very important to teach them how to do very grounding techniques such as you know, there's a big craze right now for mindfulness and being literally, it's just taking time to stop and think, taking time to breathe in fresh air to allow the body to kind of hit its own reset button. And that's what we're teaching people when it comes to managing anxiety that is related to grief. Forcing that grief back down is kind of like putting it back into a pressure cooker, eventually it boils over. And so we have to allow people to embrace the fact that they need to experience the tears, experience the screaming, the yelling, the frustration that comes with losing a loved one or a job or a relationship. Yeah, almost like the, um, the engine light on the dashboard. Absolutely. Anxiety. And as you were just talking about breathing, I'm like, oh yeah, I just took three deep breaths. So thank you for that. It's amazing. <laughs> just mentioning it can help. <laughs> We, we started off talking a little about the idea of transformation and grief as a transformational opportunity or process. I don't like to necessarily use the word opportunity in relation to grief because some people are like, I did not want this opportunity. Thank you. But that right. there's a, there can be an invitation for transformation once the loss has occurred. How do you define transformation? How do, how do you see it playing out in your work? You know, oftentimes I tell people that we are at a place in our lives where someone or something that we have loved, that love continues within us, and yet the relationship in and of itself has ended. I may not be able to physically see you, and I may not go to the same workplace, but I still have a desire for that person, or I still have a relationship, and or I still have the history of that relationship, which has created me to be who I am today. So in transformation, I am allowing people to embrace the idea or giving, I don't want to say allowing, I want to say that I am helping people to embrace the idea that my relationships don't have to end, that they just change form. And so although I can't see my baby brother here on earth, it doesn't mean that I no longer share my successes with him. It's about teaching that we can embrace all of that and we can be a part of that love still. That's yeah, so not just a transformation of self, but a transformation of the actual relationship. Absolutely. Um, I often talk about the relationship with uh, my brother. My brother died while I was in graduate school, three days after my birthday. For the longest time, I could not sleep. I would become so anxious that I'd end up in the emergency room because I was having panic attacks. I found that as I began to embrace the fact that I could no longer see my brother, one, or hug him or pick up the phone and call him, that the more I talked about my brother in relationship to me or his importance, the more I was able to accept that I was never going to be Felicia that I was the day he died or the day before he died. I had to be new because he's no longer with me physically. And that new me had to be, there are some things that I don't do anymore or didn't do for a long time because I didn't have him anymore. I had to step into this new reality and accept that I could still have him. 
I just couldn't see him. That alone changed my relationship with him. Mm. And so I was able to embrace the quote unquote, I call her the new Felicia. That was a very tough reality that I learned. And I actually didn't fully embrace it until several years ago when I started teaching about anxiety and how my anxiety was so out of control following his death. The ability to control those anxious symptoms came from being able to talk about the thing that hurt me most, which was his loss. Yeah, I appreciate the idea of talking about him, talking about the loss, opening up to it in a way helped to neutralize some of that protest. I feel like there's so much protest energy, understandably, when someone dies of like, I, I protest that this happened, I protest this reality. And then the pushing away of the reality is what can sometimes uh, exacerbate those symptoms that you mentioned. Agreed, because I believe that, I mean, simple things like we take um, their photos down and we remove their photos from the house or their clothing. We're in such a hurry to get rid of everything that represents our loved ones. And I think that we do our relationships disjustice by trying to pretend as though those relationships did not exist. Speaking of those relationships, you, you mentioned that he, your brother who died was your baby brother. What kind of baby brother was he? My brother was phenomenal. We were competitive about everything. <laughs> there's, a, <laughs> there's a nine year age gap between the two of us. So I was 24. I actually just turned 25 when he passed away. He had just turned 16. You know, he was a freshman in high school. I was in grad school in New Orleans, and we literally competed about everything. Grades, <laughs> who could make mom smile, who could buy her the best gift. I in, internally just wait for things that I can scream to heaven about with him, um, just to kind of share, hey, look what I did today. I really wish you were here to experience this moment with me. Um, but I'm so very grateful that I've been able to embrace the new relationship that I have with my brother in that I can go to the cemetery and get a blanket out and lay across a blanket and just kind of chit chat me, me, him and his gravestone, if that's what makes me feel good that day. Mm. Um, I take my kids there and my kids take pictures at his gravesite. And they'll be like, hey, mom, where are those photos of me and Uncle Marcus? <laughs> They've never met Uncle Marcus, but to them... Uncle Marcus is just as real to them um, in his deceased life as he would have been if he was physically here. It was different and people may have thought I was weird, but <laughs> it's really helped my children have a healthy relationship in other losses. So my father, my stepfather just recently passed a couple of years ago to cancer and my son prays every night with grandpa. He gets his obituary out, and puts it on his bed. And my son prays nightly with his grandpa because that was something that he did when grandpa was here. Um, and he stayed the night with grandpa. Um, it's different, but I believe that it creates a healthy experience. Yeah. And those can be so different for everyone, right? It doesn't have to be the same ritual or routine, but just the Absolutely. fact that you're intentionally engaging in something. Absolutely. It's about the freedom to, to have a relationship that the way you want it to be. I think so many times society tells us that person's gone. We don't have to, you, you can't talk about them. Or why are you talking about them as if they're here? Society tells us this is right or this is wrong. Or it's been 30 days. You should be over that. Mm -hmm. um, work tells us you have a week. Get back to work. We need you to be productive. That's just not how the human body works. Our hearts don't work that way. Our minds don't work that way. These are relationships that we've spent years building, even when they're co-worker relationships, they're relationships that we put time into. And so it's only natural that it will take time 
to process the loss of that relationship or the transformation of that relationship into something different. You mentioned about, you know, some grounding techniques of taking some deep breaths and being outside and just ways of connecting to yourself again. And then you talked about how you've encouraged a relationship between your children and your brother who has died and your stepfather who has died. Are there a couple other suggestions you have for people who are feeling really unmoored and like they've lost their anchor? The thing that people talk about the most is that moment when anxiety happens and they feel like they're utterly un- out of control or they can't get a grip on it. So I more recently have talked to people about the textile things that are helpful. So when that anxiety initially hits, sticking your hand in cold water or running your hands under cold water, um, getting an ice cube and holding it because it'll allow you to breathe. Anxiety really is about taking a breath allowing the fresh air to come in and releasing that air that seems to be choking you. Um, I encourage people to exercise regularly. I encourage them to take walks, spend time by the water. I have what's called here a sky gazing session where I invite people out to just sit and look at the stars and to communicate with their loved ones and to release their hopes and dreams into the atmosphere because allowing ourselves to connect with nature is what restores our souls. And so I really encourage people to find activities that will allow them to breathe and that they can kind of get lost in for a moment that rejuvenates them. I love that idea of a stargazing, uh, almost like a community ritual of coming together as a group. Absolutely. In our last couple of minutes, Felicia, You've talked a lot about how the, how grief has changed you. I'm curious, this work, how has this work changed you? This work called that we call grief work has really allowed me to be more compassionate, more understanding. It has encouraged me to value relationships and to to create memories every day. You know, oftentimes we spend our days and our monies collecting stuff and doing things that mean very little. But I can honestly say that every person that walks through my door, I want the ability to say that we have a genuine connection and a relationship. And I own that I may not be the best clinician for everyone, but the people that I connect with in a therapeutic manner, I always want them to feel as though they're feelings are heard, their grief experience is uniquely their own, and that every time they enter into my space, we're going to honor the relationships that they have lost and honor them by transitioning them into their future and not necessarily saying goodbye, but see you later. Well, I feel honored to have been able to be in this space with you long distance talking about this really important, meaningful work. Well, I appreciate the space. I think it's important that we embrace grief as we would a wedding. It's something to celebrate. Um, We celebrate the relationships that have made us who we are. And Felicia, if people, if listeners out there want to connect with you or learn more about your work, what's the best way for them to find you? So I have a Facebook page. It's simple, Felicia, which is P-H-E-L-I-C-A, last name Glass, G-L-A-S-S and then LSCSW. And that is probably the easiest way to reach out to me. And I look forward to helping people transition their grief into promise. Well, thank you so much, Felicia. And listeners, I'll put all that information in the show notes. So if you didn't catch it right away, you don't have to rewind and press play again. I'll have it for you right there. Thanks again, Felicia. I really appreciate your time today. Thanks, Jenna. I appreciate you having me. 
And listeners out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're new to our show, you can find all of our past episodes on our website, dougy.org, or in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, any way you're getting your podcast these days. And it's hard to believe, but we are coming up on our hundredth episode real fast. And I, I'm putting together an episode for that where I'd love to hear from you. If you've been a listener of our show, if you've been impacted by any of the interviews you've heard, if you've been a guest on the show, uh, send me a short voice memo. Let me know what the show has meant to you and I will hopefully be able to get it into our 100th episode. Thanks again for listening. Hope you'll join us again next time.